Like many people this week, I have been thinking a lot about the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. I came home on Thursday to Kim uh, blaring on the speakers in our house, respect, R-E-S-P-C-T, find out what it means to me. I admit I was a little frightened when I walked in, and that's what Aretha would have liked. As the evening went on, we listened to Son of a Preacher Man, Freeway of Love, Chain of Fools. Knowing something of her personal history and her involvement in the civil rights movement gives these songs and many others uh, added power. Here was a wise woman who did not suffer fools easily. A powerful black woman who found her voice in a time when African Americans were struggling for their rights and black women were often seen as subservient to the needs of men. I later learned that Aretha Franklin's best-selling album contained none of the songs that so many of us were remembering and playing after her death. It was an album recorded in 1972, live with James Cleveland and the Southern California Community Choir at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. It remains the best-selling live gospel album of all time. And it remains the best-selling album of Aretha Franklin's 50-year career. The album was called Amazing Grace. I had a chance this week to listen to her sing on that live album, Amazing Grace. And then again, I watched a concert performance she gave in 2014 at the White House where she sang again, Amazing Grace. She lingers on the first two words. She explores amazing and grace with the lower and upper registry of her voice as if she is plumbing the heights and depths, the the width and length of the inexhaustible. The vowels seem never-ending. In the more recent concert, she is singing that second stanza through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. And then she begins singing in that same registry that she has come directly from the hospital to the White House. She says the doctors told her something that she did not want to hear. So she sings that she told the doctors, you don't really know me. You know that I sing and that my name is Franklin. 
That's all you really know about me. But what you need to know, what I want you to know, is that I come from a a praying family. And I want you to know that I've turned it over. I've turned it over to someone with more authority than you. And I'm being made whole right now. I'm being made whole. And everybody is on their feet at this moment. And by the time she is done, they are clapping and singing and dancing, making melodies, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks at all times and for everything. It was quite a moment. This is the image we are left with at the end of our brief reading from Ephesians. A church service. The people of God singing and giving thanks. And Paul inviting us to recognize that the ground of our living as followers of Jesus Christ is in this amazing grace. In thanksgiving that pours forth in response to this grace. This is the image Paul leaves us with in the reading. It comes at the end of a brief meditation on wisdom and foolishness. Rich themes in both the Old and the New Testaments. Think of the book of Proverbs. Think of many of the Psalms. Wisdom, Paul writes, is directly related to the way one uses one's time. The text is anchored by three Greek words, all beginning with the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the alpha, the A. The words are constructed in much the same way that we might say amoral, meaning not moral. Do not be, he says, asophos, not wise. But be sophos, wise. Do not be aphron, lacking sense or foolish. And do not be asocio, lacking sobriety. First, wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom comes, Paul asserts from taking care with the time we are given. Wisdom comes from being mindful of the way we use the gift of our days. When the days are evil, it becomes even more important how the followers of Christ order their days. Because each day we are given the opportunity to practice the way of Jesus Christ in the world. To counter hate with love. To counter indifference with engagement. To counter violence with peace. Each day we are given the opportunity to bless others with our speech, to serve others with our hands. This is the will of God for the world. 
Each day we are awakened, we are given so many hours. Wise persons, Paul would say, use those hours carefully, mindfully. Eugene Peterson wrote a book a number of years ago that I make a point of reading cover to cover at least once a year. And when I feel under stress, I pull it down and read just the first few lines. Always brings me back to center. The book is called The Unbusy Pastor. The Unbusy Pastor. It begins with these words. The one piece of mail certain to go unread in my wastebasket is the one addressed to the busy pastor. Not that the phrase doesn't describe me at times, but I refuse to give my attention to someone who encourages what is worst in me. And yet how many of us wear that badge with honor? I'm just so busy, translates to, I'm so very important and indispensable. A frenetic pace, a full to overflowing calendar, a rushing about inevitably means that I'm not able to attend fully to the one thing most needful. I can wear busy as a badge of honor in this culture that places such value on the lack of time, but Paul might call it foolishness. Foolishness. Then Paul goes on to associate wisdom and foolishness with being drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, he says, for this is debauchery. No worries, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. This is not going to take a turn into a sermon on the evils of alcohol, though I do think Chardonnay is rather pernicious. Paul talks here not about alcohol consumption per se, but rather drunkenness, which he goes on to describe as debauchery. The problem seems to be that if followers of Christ are, are drunk, they are not able then to be careful about how they live. They're not able to make the most of their time. To be drunk is to walk through your day and night unaware, unable to respond, unable to trust your discernment. I wonder if we could not substitute many things here in place of wine. Pursuits that we all engage in that deaden the mind, that cause us to check out of life, that can sometimes become quite addictive. The Daily Daily Mail a few years ago asserted that the average person checks their smartphone 85 times a day. And that was three years ago. It seems like a low number to me, 85. There are many other things we could add, I I suspect. Things that keep us distracted or 
or busy or unavailable to God or to one another. We are to be mindful of distractions that take our minds off of careful living, that consume our thoughts and leave little room for purposeful action as disciples of Jesus Christ. But let's face it. It's difficult for us to maintain this kind of attentive posture. We live in the real world with its many distractions, competing ideologies, and vast amounts of information. Not necessarily wisdom, but information. Cultivating wisdom seems like more than we can do in such a world. For Paul to simply make these pronouncements, this is what you should do, and then walk away, feels like one more burden on an already overburdened life. One more setup for failure. But he doesn't walk away, does he? At the very end of our reading, he ushers us into the space of worship. Instead of being drunk with wine, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Give thanks at all times and for everything. It's a call to substitute life-denying practices with life-giving practices. To focus the mind on habits that over time usher in a life before God filled with wisdom. I've been reading a book that Kim gave me a few months ago by Diana Butler Bass entitled Grateful. Grateful. In it, uh, early on, Bass describes talking with a friend who was having a spiritual crisis who was beginning to wonder if his life or life in general had any meaning. And in response, she gave him a small book of gratitude quotes and encouraged him to read one each day. She hoped he might see how much there was to be thankful for, how much good there was in the world. Maybe looking for gratitude, she wrote, could help him find his way. She received a note from him a few days later. It said, God, help me to quiet my noisy, worrisome mind in my ordinary world. Help me to relax in the familiar and to be aware of and appreciate it. Bass writes, he wanted to see the world around him more fully and deeply to develop greater awareness and to be grateful for what was already there. Paul proclaims that this kind of gratitude is the ground of all wisdom, thankfulness at all times and for everything. If we cultivate our awareness to see those gifts more often, with clearer and more consistent vision, Something else happens. Thankfulness becomes more habitual 
a regular part of how we respond to the world as a habit, as a habit. Gratitude becomes a steadying companion, Bass writes, incorporated into the story of our lives. Gratitude is not just a knock-your-socks-off revelation of goodness and mercy. It emerges as a daily, even an hourly, disposition of appreciation toward familiar gifts. Surely, it is in coming together, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, and cultivating gratitude as a habit of mind, that we grow into people who make the most of our time in these days. I've talked with so many of you in recent days who many families in our congregation have taken their children to college for the very first time just in recent days. And before I made that journey myself, I had no way of knowing how heart-wrenching it is to walk out of that dorm room and, and go home to that so familiar house that is suddenly not quite as familiar. Someone's missing. So many thoughts and emotions flood the heart and the mind. Sadness and grief, to be sure, if we're being honest. But also incredible joy and hope. And a bit, maybe more than a bit, of fear. After all, it is a big world they're entering. And sometimes the days are evil, as Paul says. And you are not right there as you have always been to protect and to guide. As one who has made that journey myself, words fail me to express how important it is and was that my children grew up surrounded by hymns and psalms and spiritual songs of this community of faith and that they were given the opportunity to cultivate gratitude as a habit of mind and that they were able to see so many lives in this place modeling wisdom. I pray each day that when they encounter trouble, this tremendous well of grace from which they have drunk will sustain them. Fill them with thanksgiving at all times and for everything that this amazing grace will lead them and all the people of God home. Because the days can be evil. God's grace is greater. May it be so for all of us this day and forever. Amen.